I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, good people, good day. Hey, super, super excited to have a very dynamic Black woman on this show today who is out here doing some amazing, amazing work, which she's going to tell you all about. Dr. Tamika Ellington. Hello, Ellington. Excuse me, Dr. Tamika <laughs> Ellington. Like I was trying to be smooth about it and mess it up. Dr. Tamika Ellington. <laughs> How are you? Welcome. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh my gosh, you are so, so very welcome. So very welcome. So for those of you who are listening, how did we meet? Let me give you the story really quickly. I saw her in a newsletter and I was like, I got to find out who that is. So that's how it is. That's a big timer. But no, there is this first gen platform out in Colorado. Why is it escaping my brain right now? Global minded. Global minded. Yes. I'm like, well, I can't trip it because I'm like, everything's like first gen, first gen, but global minded. So thank you to Kara for what she's doing with that platform. And she was featuring black first gens and Dr. Ellington came across and I was like, oh my. So I went to her LinkedIn and caught myself peeping and she peeked back. And so we became friends. So uh, grateful for that. Grateful for that, Dr. Ellington. But please do tell everybody who you are, you know, for sure and what you do. Everybody is so, so, so good to be here with you. I'm super excited. And just as much as Dr. Eve has been pumped about this, I have really been pumped about this myself. I'm Dr. Tamika Ellington. I'm an educator, scholar. I've been working with students now for the past, it's been like 15 years now since I've been working in the academic realm, working with students and worked with hundreds of first-generation students. I also am first-gen and I'm an alum of the Upward Bound TRIO program. I was in TRIO when I was in high school and I've been so blessed to have been able to give back to the TRIO programs as a professor at Kent State University, where I'm currently working. I got a chance to teach a fashion class. I'm a fashion professor. And so I got a chance to teach a fashion class for the Upward Bound Summer Institute. And I've been doing that now for probably like maybe the past eight years. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. What was it that got you into fashion? I'm curious about that. Oh, well, I've always been a very creative person. So I knew, you know, from the very beginning that I wanted to do something creative. I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil. And, Hmm. you know, I my actually, you know what, my first job, Dr. Eve, I wanted to become an illustrator and draw for Marvel Comics. That was the first job that I wanted. And once I got to junior high school, and, you know, back in the day, they used to have something called home ec. I'm sure you remember home ec. So I actually got into that home ec class. I got my hands on the sewing machine and I absolutely loved it. And I hadn't looked back since. And so I knew ever since I was about in the eighth grade or so that fashion and creativity was something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And, you know, really what it boiled down to 
was that I wanted to be an educator. Like I said, I teach fashion. And so being an educator really is the, the grand scheme of what I'm supposed to be doing here at this particular time and, and moment in space. And educating is what I love to do, whether it's fashion or whether it's, you know, leadership or something else. Being in front of a group of students, being in front of a group where I can just give as much of myself as I can to help better people. That's what I live for. Mm, I felt that. Yeah. Really felt that. And I feel it. And it's, it's very much so who I am. And I know when we talked before, it's like we are two of the same because it's just how right. we show up, what fulfills us, what excites us. It's just, I mean, we're just so much in common and it's always joyful to find people who are kindred spirits because yeah. I left higher ed never thinking I would leave because of the students and wanting to connect with them and bond and grow and just pour into them. Right. And even in what I'm doing as an entrepreneur, I still have students. So it's right. you never get away from, you know, what's destiny for you. Something you said that I'm really interested in and would like to dig into a little more is that you were talking about having this experience in home egg, essentially, and, and being behind the sewing machine and realizing that you knew then that was for you. Yes. How did you, because I mean, that was a young age. Yes. Like, yes, yes. And I, I, but I do have a conviction that at some point we know, even if we can't articulate it. Yeah. Because I always knew speaking would be a part of my path, but it was never one of those, this is how you'll be doing it kind of right. things. But how did you continue just over the years to kind of hone in on that and make sure that you did things to create what you're doing now? So to make it a reality and not let go of, you know, sometimes people come into your life and they're like, no, but you should do this. Mm-hmm. So how did you not get deviated from your path, considering that it was so young that you discovered this thing about yourself? You know, I honestly believe, Dr. Eve, that it was by grace. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've, I've always been a creative person. And I knew for me that getting an education was going to be my way out of the situation that I was currently in. You know, being first gen, I'm one of the people who are also not only just first gen, but also I grew up in a poor background. Like, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Cleveland and all around me were people who, you know, were just living that criminal lifestyle or, you know, living that hopeless lifestyle. And even in my own household, there was a little bit of, an essence of hopelessness. And I just knew that I did not want that for myself. It was like what I was seeing around me, I wanted the total opposite of that. And so once I found something that I loved, like I said, I love drawing and I love just making, I'm a maker. I actually, I, I just recently got into doing carpentry work. So I've been making furniture and stuff too. So I'm, mm. I'm a maker. I love making it. It excites me. It gets me thrilled to be able to see something that I've put my, you know, hard work into and to actually, you know, once I'm all done, actually be able to see a product in front of me that just makes me excited you know and so that's really what it was was just having the burning desire to want to do something different than what I saw around me you know I didn't know that I was going to become an educator I just thought that I was going to be a designer for the rest of my life and I worked in the fashion industry for several years and I just wasn't fulfilled and so you know my husband was like, well, you know, why don't you maybe think about getting your PhD? Because I had already gotten a master's at Michigan State. And while I was at Michigan State as a grad student, I got a chance to teach a class. 
And I really liked it more than what I thought I was going to. And so, you know, I was I was sick of the fashion industry. The It's kind of backbiting and it's a lot of politics and all this stuff. And I was just sick of it. And I told my husband, I was like, I really don't know what I should do. And he was like, well, why not try getting a Ph.D.? So I went back and got my Ph.D. I started teaching. And once I got into the classroom, I was like, OK, this is it for me. This is, hmm. I, I know this is it. This is what makes me happy out of all the things that I've had, you know, been blessed to be able to experience teaching and being in front of a group and sharing myself with people has been the most exciting part of my life. Hmm. You know, and it excites me to hear you say that, knowing that, again, same for me, speaking for me isn't about speaking and being on a stage and doing the raw, raw motivation that's thing. Right. That's right. It's about teaching, like imparting the wisdom and helping people to be better in in who and what they are. Right. So I like totally get it. So that's why I said something about being a teacher and speakers are teachers. But then I would say maybe not all because it takes a certain skill to be a teacher. Yes. You know, to be an educator. Right. So if you can blend the two and people who understand, understand, you get it. Yeah. (laughs) To to blend the two together and to make it work. And some people, so for those who are asking, What's the difference between a speaker and an educator? Mm, mm, mm. Before I answer it, let me let you answer it. What do you think? What what do you say? You know what? I think it depends on the person's heart. And I'm just going to say it that way. Because there are speakers that are there, like you said, for the rah-rah, you know, and there because they want to be in the spotlight. But then there are people who are are teachers who just want to be able to help elevate people. You know, mm-hmm. they, they want to be in front of a group of people speaking so that they can elevate them. You know, so, I mean, it's a fine line. I think it's a real fine line because if you're going to speak about something, you're going to be teaching. But if your heart is really in a place where you, you know, you really have the ultimate aim of making somebody else's life better, then that's when, you know, you're, you're an educator, you're, you're a spiritual fulfiller. That's, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a real fine line. What do you think, Dr. E? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So my thing is anybody can speak, but not everybody can educate. That's right. That's because right. there is a, the part to where the education comes in the intentionality. That's yeah, what I'm trying to get at. Exactly. So I can go in and I can speak. And anybody can speak about almost anything. I can still get up and speak about something I don't know anything about, but I can speak about it because it's the idea of I can read something really quick and speak about not knowing about it, you know? So it doesn't take, I think, too much of it. It takes a skill to speak, don't get me wrong. But let's just say if we were talking about, you know, military servicemen or veterans things, I can say, well, what I don't know is... I don't know, you know, how the budgets are. I don't know what their protocols are. I can speak about that, right? Right. But I can't educate you. Right. <laughs> but that I'm giving you nothing. So I think that education is very much so the part filling in the gaps. So I, again, I love that we're on the same wavelength about that. So yeah. can you be a speaker and not educate? Yeah, because you can speak about things that don't require education. Yeah, you're right about that. You're exactly right. I think what makes an educator an educator also, too, is the experiential aspects of life. When you really can teach somebody about something is when you've experienced it, you know. Mm. And so a really good example, I remember when I first started teaching in the School of Fashion at Kent State. Kent State is one of the best fashion schools in the country, really in, in the world, where like, 
ranked number four in the country, number 13th in the world. And Mm. one of the things that I remember my students telling me, and this was early on in my career, is they said, you know, Dr. Ellington, what I appreciate about you is that you've actually been in the fashion industry You've worked there. You know what you're talking about. And so you're not just teaching us out of the book. And, you know, I never even thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just teaching them what I knew. But when I looked at other colleagues of mine who had never, ever been in the fashion industry, had never stepped foot in a showroom or anything like that, and they were teaching basic, like the student said, out of the book. You know, I could I could see the value that I was bringing that other people could bring, you know. And so when you've experienced something like, you know, like you and I both being first generation, we can't talk about being first gen with anybody if we've never experienced it. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. I am a firm believer of that, that I try not to speak on things I don't know, even in the work that I do. Right. And, you know, saying that I could put my foot in my mouth, but I know entrepreneurship. I may not be an expert in every aspect of it, but I know it and I yeah. can talk about it and I can I can gain the experience that I need to continue to speak on things further. But you're right. And I, it's funny you mentioned that because I find as well as that it's easier to hear somebody who's been where you are. Oh, yeah. And who has the experiences necessary to relate, because I think experiences really help us to relate. To oh, people. Yeah. So I think it's a great point oh, yeah. um, and being able to speak or educate. And I'm not trying to get political on you, but I think that's what's wrong with a lot of our education systems now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they yeah. you want students to do well and to thrive, but they can't because they don't have the conditions for which they are given to thrive with somebody who can even connect with them or understand where they're coming mm-hmm. from. That, that's, that's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah. Um, but you get yeah. it. You get it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and them thinking you're at Kent State and you said the top four in the country. I'm thinking, oh, she bad, y'all. She bad, bad. Because if you think about this idea of being a first gen, being a black woman, being at one of the top institutions in the country for, you know, the work that you're doing, that says a lot. I'm curious to know, how do you handle that pressure? Do you even think about it? Oh, boy. You know what? (laughs) I I have to tell you, I have grown so much since I've been on this journey of academe. When I first started in the industry, you know, like I said, I didn't know I wanted to become an educator. But once I figured that out. It was like it was it was nothing stopping me after that. And when I got into the fashion school, I started off as a part time instructor. I absolutely loved it. And while I was teaching part time, I started working towards getting my Ph.D. After I finished all my courses, I became, you know, what we call ABD, right? All but dissertation. Mm -hmm. So I became ABD and I went to my director and I told him, I said, you know, I think it's time for me to transition into a full-time position at the school. And Kent State University, you know, is like a lot of other institutions. There was not a lot of Black people in our in our school. And there was only really like one full-time Black person in the school. They had a couple part-timers who were Black, including myself. And so I went and applied for a position that they had open. I got turned down for the position and I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just not my time yet, right? So another position comes up several, like maybe like the next following year. And I was like, okay, well, I'll try to apply for this one. Girl, I got turned down for the second one as well. Hmm. Okay, so a third position came around. The positions that I'm applying for are just instructor positions. An instructor is not the same Hmm. professor, right? Right. 
instructor positions, full-time instructor jobs, and I kept getting turned down. And so after the third time of me applying and then getting turned down a third time, I started seeing a pattern. Everybody, Hmm. and like I said, I was still teaching there part-time. So I was seeing who they were picking instead of me, right? So they were picking these white women who had less education than me. Like I said, by this time, I'm ABD. I remember one time I ended up getting passed up for somebody who only had a bachelor's degree. And so after that third time, I said, no more. This is not about to happen again to me. And I went and I talked to one of my mentors. And I'm telling you, if you don't have mentors in your life, you don't have anything because mentors can really help shape and change your life. And so my mentors, I went to them and told them what was going on. They took me directly over to the affirmative action department. I filed a case and that's how I magically got a job. Wow. No way. Yes. Yes. So my Mm. full-time position at Kent State as an instructor started because I had to file a case against the fashion school. Mm. Yes. And see, you know what? And, And that whole dynamic of coming into a position in that manner it starts off a whole lot. It ruffles a whole lot of people's feathers and it starts, it starts you off in a position where you, you know that you're not really welcome in that space. And so, you know, a lot of, I felt a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, you know, in the beginning, because I just knew that my colleagues were not happy about me being there. Mm. And so once I completed my PhD, I went back to my supervisor and I said, you know what? The fashion school has never, ever had an African-American professor. At one point, we had a a gentleman who was from Mali. He started working as a professor in the School of Fashion. He lasted one year and they they had his ass out of there quick. One year, (laughs) he lasted. So I went back, like I said, I went to my boss and I said, you know, the fashion school has never had an African-American professor. I said, I think it's time. And he said, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. So, yeah. So he did a position waiver for me. I was the very first person ever in my department to do what's called a position waiver. So that's when they take you from an instructor position to a professor's position. Right. Mm. And so going into that position, I'm telling you, I was faced with so much animosity by my colleagues. I felt so unwelcome and so like they did not want me. They they blatantly said she's not qualified enough to be here. She's not talented enough to be here. And mm. the thing that was pissing me off about it is like, okay, I'm a designer, right? All of my design colleagues, you guys all have a master's of fine arts. I have a PhD. So you're still trying to tell me that I'm not qualified enough to be here? Mm. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. So the first two years on the tenure track was complete hell for me because I felt like I was being watched. I felt like they were waiting for me to mess up. Once those two years evolved and I got a chance to grow in those two years, I remember I just got, you know how sometimes when God can just give you, just give you a message and it just kind of knocks you into the place that you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was just sitting there one day. I mean, just distraught. And God was like, why do you care so much what they think? Mm. Why do you care so much what these people have to say about you? Once I got that through my head, 
I was like, oh, I'm on fire now, honey. Didn't These people, whatever they got to say, don't matter to me because I'm about to show them what I am made of. I became one of the top scholars in that department, one of the top designers in that department, showed my work across the globe, China. I went to Korea. I went to lots of different places showing my artwork because I got a chance to get over the fact that I originally wasn't supposed to be there. And I stopped caring about what other people thought about me. Once I got that under my belt, I could do anything. You know, I I, I was ready. I was on fire after that. Mm, 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 mm. Listen, you got me over here stumped. <laughs> this took a turn that the transparency, the rawness right now is like, whoa. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, how were you, you know, how did you get to a place of being bold enough to even talk about this and you're still there? Ooh, honey. But you answered Ooh, it. Honey. You answered it. You stopped caring. Yeah. Because it is what it is. Mm. And you know what? It's funny because what ended up happening, what, okay, because I would speak about it, but I would only speak about it to people who I was close to or who I knew could help me in the situation. Like I said, I had several right. members who were, who were working with me to make sure that I had everything I needed. But I ended up getting promoted and I got tenure, right? Mm-mm. After I got promoted and I got tenure, girl, you couldn't shut me up. <laughs> you shut me up about what my experience was. I'm actually no longer teaching. I moved into an administrative role. And so I'm now the assistant dean for the College of the Arts, right? Wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? These people didn't want me there. And now I'm running the show, right? So, Say it. <laughs> and so my dean that I work for, one day I was actually asked, this was just this past February, our student multicultural center asked me to come and be the Black History Month speaker. And so I was wrapping my things up in my office and I was getting ready to leave. And I told my dean, I was like, oh, I'm about to get ready to go. I got to go over to the Student Multicultural Center because I'm speaking for them today. And so my boss, white man, asked me, he said, oh, so what's your topic? And I looked him dead in the face. I said, well, I'm going to be talking about the fact that I had to file an affirmative action case against the fashion school. Mm-hmm. He just looked at me like, what could he say? Hmm. What could he say? And he hmm. was kind of look, like the look on his face was just kind of like in shock. Like, wow. You know, at this moment in time, I feel like people need to know. Like hmm. that, like I said, it's nothing against Kent State University. It's nothing against Kent State University. Kent State is a small microcosm of the the rest of the, the world, the rest of the institutional, mm. like our societal makeup, right? So mm. Kent State is a part of that societal makeup. So like I said, is I absolutely love Kent State University. I'm actually, I'm an alum also too. I got my undergraduate degree in fashion from Kent and my PhD is from Kent State. I love Kent State University. However, Kent State is a part of the overall societal makeup. There are still issues. They're trying to, you know, I'm sure in in many instances, you know, Kent State is trying to right a lot of the wrongs that have happened. But again, they're a part of the overall societal makeup. What's happening in society is happening at Kent State University. Mm, 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 mm. And here you are blazing the trail, literally. Hey, you know what? And it's, it's funny because... Now, Eve, remember when you were just talking about, you know, being with the students and how much you love being with the students? Yes. Me stepping over into the dean's office was very painful for me because I knew I needed to do it. 
first of all, mm-hmm. because the dean's office had not seen a black person in that office. And, and it was like, I think maybe two or three decades, there had not been another black dean in that office. And so I knew I needed to do it. But it broke my heart to have to leave the students. Hmm. And after I left from the fashion school to come over to the dean's office, students started trying to find me. Like, they started tracking me down. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm not in the fashion school anymore. Like, if you have issues over there, I can't help you. You know, Hmm. you need to go and talk to your faculty or, you know, talk to whomever your instructor is. You know, it's, it's really been a difficult transition because I absolutely love my students. But I needed to do it so that I could have presence in that office so that those students could see me in that role. Mm. It's really fascinating to me to hear you say that, that you left the thing too that you love mm-hmm. to break the barrier. Yeah. And, you know, then again, being first. Yeah. Again yeah. and again. And it just makes me think about, you know, at what point do we, even if it's temporarily step outside of what we know, to do something more significant than we are and come back to it. Because it sounds to me like that's what you're doing. So, and I guess, you know, to those of you who are listening, who are wondering yourselves right now, is it something that you need to do? And it could be, again, just temporary to make sure that you're making that change absolutely and get back to what you love. Yeah. Because that's big. But even for what you said you moved into, even as an administrator, they go have a building name after you one of these days, you keep on. So, <laughs> you know, a whole center is coming. I'm telling you, me moving outside of the fashion school away from my students actually has served its purpose of allowing me to eventually be able to step out of quote unquote academia. Hmm. Because of the fact that I just started my business, I started a business, First Generation Revolutionaries, started that business. I actually started a foundation. So I have the Ellington Family Foundation. And I've been working on some other projects as well. And so it's given me the opportunity to step away from being face-to-face in the classroom with my students so that I can then step into really what God is wanting me to do now. You know, this business and and teaching is still something that I'm going to be doing, but I'm going to, I want to do it on a grander scale. I can see myself going around the world. And I'm sure you can understand that. Oh yeah. Going around the world educating and uplifting people. That's what I want to do. And I can only do that if I step outside the classroom, you know? Mm. And so, you know, this, me taking that administrative job was just another way for me to kind of just bridge the gap to where it is I'm supposed to be going in in this life. Mm. You know, I'm with you 100%. And not just trying to be the the yes man, but it's like, Mm -hmm. we are the same. (laughs) And um, the only difference is I just transitioned out. Okay. I was like, I'm I'm gone. But I don't feel like that was the wrong thing for me to do. Yeah. More so because exactly to the point that you just made, I knew at some point in my life that I was supposed to serve people beyond the classroom where Mm -hmm. I was an institution. Like I knew I was supposed to serve more students, more people around the world. And one institution wasn't going to do it for me. I just couldn't figure out what that meant. But fast forward, now I have my own online programs and courses and things that I offer and speaking engagements to where I am literally serving people across the world. Wow. And what it looks like may not have been, oh, okay, it's a classroom at this particular place in this particular state and city. It's no, I created my own classroom, a global classroom, Wow. be it podcasting, be it speaking. And that's something that is powerful to me 
to have realized recently. And I'm like, oh boy, I said it, but what did it mean? And so even for you, what does that look like? You said you want to travel and do it. It's going to happen. Right. That's right. It's going to happen. And, and so I look, I'm sorry, Eve, to cut you off, but when you said that there's going to be a building named after me, the reason why also I started the foundation is because I wanted to become one of the top donors. Mm. The School of Fashion right now doesn't have any Black donors. Goodness you know, gracious. Um, the people that are on the wall, you know, we've had donors give millions of dollars, you know, to the school for equipment or to remodel the building or whatever. One day, my name, the Ellington name, will be on one of those walls. Yes. Yes. It's going to happen sooner yeah. than later. Cause you're not the one. You're not the one to be played with. That's what we go. Well, that's what we know. That's what we know. Okay, it's gonna happen. I'm. I'm looking forward to. It. I'm gonna look up one yeah. day and said, okay, I'm. You know, I, I see you, girl. I'm gonna send it, drop that gift on in the mail because I don't know where I'm gonna be. Oh. But no, but really though, it is going to happen, and you are you are the one. Like you, not the one, and the one at the same time. Yeah. You understand? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I man, I'm so enjoying this. I do want to ask you, you know, uh, another question just really quickly, because we're at a point where we're about to wrap up. But one of the thoughts, you know, that I have is what do you tell another woman, another black woman, especially in academia or anywhere else for that matter, who is experiencing some challenges herself and just kind of feels like she doesn't know what to do because she's scared to lose her job mm-hmm. and she got to take care of her family because what you're doing is bold, bold. Because, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. there's a risk and that's yeah. that risk is that backlash of let's get her out of here in some kind of way and yet you keep rising. So what do you say to that woman right now who just Ooh. needs the word? Honey, let me tell you. Okay. What I usually tell people who, and I, and I get a lot of people that ask me about this because like you said, because of the fact that I've been so bold about it, I've had colleagues of mine at work at Kent State with me who said, you know what, Tamika, they'll call me up or either they'll email me and say, this is what's going on with me. You know, I don't know what to do. And so something that has allowed me to be this bold is the fact that, first of all, I do a good job at what I do. I am excellent at what I do. So there's no denying that I'm qualified. There's no denying that I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. So put yourself in a situation where they can't live without you. Mm. Put yourself in a situation where they depend on you to be there. Now that I have been out of the fashion school for the past year and a half, I'm a tech designer by nature. So when I was out in the fashion industry, I worked as a tech designer. A tech designer is like the engineer of the apparel industry. Hmm. I was the only person in my department out of 30 some odd faculty who knew how to do tech design. So I designed the curriculum. I did everything to to start the whole process of teaching students about tech design. And now that I am not in the fashion school, they're not getting tech design anymore because nobody else knows how to do it. Mm. And so I made myself (laughs) so valuable that there's no way that they're going to want to get rid of me because they will be losing out on something great if they got rid of me. And Mm. like I said, again, I stopped caring. I stopped caring what other people thought about me. Once I had that power, I actually, I don't know if I told you about this, Eve, but in November, I dropped my first book. It's called Make Fear Your Superpower. Mm. And in that book, I talk a lot about my experiences, you know, and I talk about various different kinds of fear that we have and caring about what people think about you is a level of fear. 
And so mm. once you can drop that fear, once you can forget about what other people think about you, because you know what? I'm here to serve and I'm here to do whatever God wants me to do. I don't care what none of y'all got to say, whether you like me or you don't like me, I'm here to do God's work. And you're not going to get in my way about that. So you can just move on to the side. Let me do what I need to do and let me do it well. And so that's what I tell other Black women is that make yourself invaluable. Make yourself so needed that they're not going to know what to do if you leave. Mm. You know, it's it's difficult, honey. I'm telling you, being a person who is first gen, not only did I have to deal with the nonsense from people at my work, but I also have to deal with that kind of nonsense in my own family too. Yep. It's really sad. And you and I can have a whole nother conversation about this. You know, having to be the anomaly when you're first generation, you're the anomaly. Mm -hmm. You're different than everybody else in your, in your family. And so I'm seen as different. I'm seen as the outsider and I'm oftentimes treated as the outsider. And so if I cared about what my family thought about me, there's no way I would be able to succeed. Unfortunately, my family would rather that I stay level than that I climb hmm. because they don't know what to do with me when I climb. Hmm. And so, like I said, I'm here to serve. Whatever it is that God has in store for me, I am here to do that regardless what anybody else has to say. My family, colleagues, whomever, friends, if you don't like it, get out of my way. Let me mm. do what I'm going to do. Yeah, you know, I just really like you. <laughs> I just really like you a lot. Yeah, it just, I don't have to say anything at all. Just mm-hmm, what Tamika said. <laughs> we can have long conversations, I'm sure. We, we could. Look, I'm about to start a hashtag. We're going to trend you. Hashtag what Tamika said. So, but no, but really, but it's get out of my way. For the person who is listening today who needed to hear that, there it is. There it is. But even the empowerment for all of us to go on in our lives and do whatever it is we need to do and how much more we can do when we stop thinking about what we say. Right. When we stop thinking about what they think because of the job is being done. And clearly if it's being done so well that you're global out here, right. then you know, how I say to sometimes my friend, who's going to shake me, boo? So it's, you know, so it's, so it's kind of that kind of thinking, but man, this has been a delightful conversation. Yeah. But even on that note, you know, the final thought, and I know the mantra, so you, look, you might hit us with that, but your final thought, your final word that you would leave us all with, or that piece of advice, what would that be? For all of my first generation family, and I, and I do consider people who are first generation family because we have something in common. We have something in common that will never, ever go away. Once you're first gen, you're first gen for life. Whether you finish and you go to school and you get a PhD or you you know go to school, you just get your bachelor's degree, you graduate. Once you graduate, you're still first gen. There's something about people who are first gen. We have such tenacity about ourselves that it's something that we have in common. We're family. And so I would say to my first gen family, Continue to be the best that you can be. Continue to strive for things that you you dream about and things that you, you may not be able to touch it yet. But if you can see it in your mind and if God put it in your spirit that it's for you, then it, it really is for you. And, you know, we oftentimes, like many other people, you know, we have issues with being, having this kind of like imposter syndrome. When you're first gen, you suffer from a lot of imposter syndrome, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you kind of have to to step outside of that imposter syndrome so that you can do what it is you're called here to do. Whatever that might be, whatever your mission in life might be, get over the imposter syndrome because you are blessed and you are here to do whatever it is that you're meant here to, to do. Do it and do it well. Always succeed. Always try to be your best. And that's really all I have to say. But before we leave, I wanted to make sure that I got a chance to invite the listeners to go to my website and to connect with me in the first generation revolutionaries movement that I started. And so if you would like to connect with me, you can go to Dr. Tamika Ellington. Um, it's Dr. D-R, no period, T-A-M-E-K-A, Ellington, E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N, all one word, Dr. Tamika Ellington with no period. Go to drtamikaellington.com. Once you get into the website, you'll see that there's a couple tabs. So if you go to the first generation expert tab, click on the first generation revolutionaries, and there's a way that you can get in there. You can join the um, list. It says, welcome to the first gen movement. First gens will join here. So if you click on there, I have a free gift that I would like to offer to everyone who's listening. Six steps to finding your dream career or your dream aspirations. I would like to give that to everyone. We love that. We love gifts. And and for those of you who are like, well, she said what again? The link is in the show description. Just go there. Just go there. Got it. So look, oh my gosh, Dr. Ellington, you are everything. You have brought so much life to me today over here, Black Mm. woman. Uh, But thank you for your truth, for your transparency, for your vulnerability, for just being the revolutionary. Like not just talking about it, but being about it through your actions. So that's even more powerful because sometimes we tend to say things that we don't live, but you're living Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. so I appreciate that. But again, thank you for everything. Wishing you well and all that lies ahead. Continue to take really good care of yourself and changing the world. I'm looking forward to seeing that building too. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we will be in touch because I, I want to work with you. You and I would be, we will be phenomenal together, Dr. Eve. Absolutely believe that. Absolutely believe yeah. that. 